And today I want to look at um, our third value statement. There's going to be five we're going to hit total. And our third one, and if I had a favorite, it might be one of my favorite. Maybe they're all my favorite, honestly, but I love this one. And that's this, is that we are better together. Come on, just to get a little participation today. Come on, on the count of three, just say better together. Ready? One, two, three. All right, we'll get better at that together. You see what I did there? You see what I did? Okay. I'm here all day, folks. I'm here all day. Okay. Uh, We are better together. And here's what we're going to look at today in Scripture. We're going to look at uh, a narrative of the early church in Acts chapter 2 because uh, really what this this message today is going to be focused on is our relationships. And namely, with each other and with other followers of Christ. Now, we're going to do a series in September all about all of our relationships. Uh, It's going to be called Better Together. (laughs) But today, we're going to focus on specifically, um, and again, you can apply this outside of our relationships as followers of Christ, but we're going to look specifically at our relationships with other followers of Christ. Again, not just in this room, not just a part of Catalyst, but, but around the world. Um, but, but also very applicable to how we relate to one another because the scripture is clear. Um, there are general principles, scripturally speaking, that we can apply to all of our relationships. But there are also some specific ways that scripture points to how we are to relate as fellow followers of Christ. In fact, even the Apostle Paul himself in different moments actually says he speaks to the differentiation of how we're actually supposed to relate differently because we follow the same Lord in Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today. Again, there's, there's going to be wide range application for your life, but we're going to focus on how, how we relate to one another. In fact, as I was studying for the message the past couple of weeks, I started watching um, uh, something I love to watch is I love to watch like docu-series about sport teams, namely the greatest sport, football teams. Come on. I love the behind the scenes. Anybody else? Like, I love to see the team meetings. I love to see the practices. I love to see the tension. I love to see the drama. I love to see their personal life. You know, I love it when you see, you know, coaches sleeping in their office, and you're like, that's probably not healthy for your marriage, but it's great TV. You know, it's like, you, you know, you love to see the behind the scenes of the team. I do. So I've been watching the past several weeks. There's a, uh, a series on, I think it's on HBO. It's called Hard Knocks. And it kind of profiles these teams behind the scenes. Now, listen, just so you know, I am not endorsing all of the language nor content. So please don't send me an email. Pastor Jeremy, they use this word a lot. Okay, I know. It's football. Okay, I, don't, I just don't know what else to say. Um, however, <laughs> they followed the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, now the Las Vegas Raiders. Then they were the Oakland Raiders. And as I was watching it and I was studying for this message, I, thought, I saw so many corollaries. Uh, God does speak to me through football because, you know, it's his favorite sport. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but I saw so many corollaries. So I'm going to use a lot of examples that kind of even referencing the show because there were so many things I was studying for this message. I thought to myself, wow, here it is, evidence even in the context of a team. Um, And in many ways, you know, the the two top metaphors that we see scripturally for the church is, number one, the family of God, and number two, the body of Christ. And a family and a body operate as one unit. Really, they're supposed to. The same way a team, right? So there were were corollaries I'm going to draw, but I'm going to speak today. We're going to look at the narrative of the early church uh, in Acts chapter 2, but before we dive in, 
Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you this morning uh, for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that we, you would speak to us today, God. You would speak through my words. God, you would speak to us as you open up your word. God, we posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you. God, we just ask even Holy Spirit, you come and you lead uh, the way today and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're in Acts 2, if you have your Bibles, verse 42. Uh, let me give some context of what's happening in the narrative of our faith and the history of our faith. Um, Acts chapter 2, um, what essentially has happened up until this point, uh, the, Luke is the author of Acts chapter 2, also the author of the book of Luke. And what happens in Acts 1 and the beginning of Acts 2 is we see that Jesus ascends the right hand of the Father, and then he tells his church, go and gather in the upper room and wait for my spirit to fill you. From the inception, the church gathered. And when they are filled with the Spirit, what Acts 2 actually begins to uh, kind of chronicle, kind of, kind of document, is the activity of their early church. And to give context, specifically in Acts 2, they are in what is known modern day as Syria. Uh, the church was birthed here in this moment in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you know church history, the church spread rapidly. Uh, and we're going to explain a little bit why it did, why it was so attractive. In fact, I read it was, it was interesting. Uh, I read a quote this week in my studies how the early church of Jesus Christ uh, was both equally as attractive to people as it was offensive to the culture with some things because the ways of Christ were so different than the culture around them. And we'll speak to some of that, um, how they lived such a different life. Uh, in, a, in, a lot, in a great ways. In fact, even some of the things the early church began to practice back then have still influenced the way we live today, uh, which is pretty incredible. But let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 uh, through 47. We're going to read about six scriptures. It says this, And they, referring to the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. See, I told you it's the will of God to break bread, Okay. And the awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. Uh, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all and as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, uh, breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. Here's what we see what happens that the the, the, the moment the early church begins to be filled by the Spirit of God and begins to walk out the will of God, we see, number one, is that there are signs and wonders. The word sign uh, literally translates a miracle. There were miracles. They're documented in the book of Acts. People who could not walk could walk in Jesus' name. Uh, people who were sick were healed in Jesus' name. And just so you know, we still believe God heals in Jesus' name. In fact, after service, we're going to have some prayer team members. If you need prayer in any of your area of your life, we believe that God still, in fact, we've even recently seen people who've been touched by God in this way. So, so they see miracles in their community. Number two, the, the spirit of Christ was so alive in the community. They were, they were, in fact, if you look throughout church history, not just uh, history written by Christians, but even outsiders writing on the early church, one of their markers was radical generosity. And they were so generous. In fact, it was even known that like at times, if there was like someone in the community who didn't have enough resource to pay for a family member's funeral, I read this this week, that they would actually sometimes sell possessions to cover the cost of the funeral. 
that they would, they would give. So, and, and it wasn't anything forced. It wasn't mandated like now that you're a part of the church, sell everything. <laughs> it, was, it was being led by the Spirit of God and the grace of Christ. And those who had more resource were willing to help those who, who had needs. And then what we see, so, so needs were being met. And then it says the Lord added to their number daily. So people were finding hope in Christ. How many would love to be a part of communities where people are being healed, needs are being met, and people are finding hope in Christ, right? That, that kind of community is, is an asset. It's a resource to the surrounding region, and that's what we see here in this early church. Now, here's all I want to focus on. They devoted themselves, it says here, to the apostles' teaching, uh, which is the teaching of the word of God, the doctrine of our faith. Uh, but then they use this word fellowship. And I see the word fellowship. I think to myself, anybody else who grew up in a church with a fellowship hall? Come on. A little old school here. And fellowship means you had lunch after church. Come on, somebody. Right? Uh, <laughs> the church I grew up in had that. And that's not the full definition of fellowship. Um, but, but the word fellowship is actually two Greek words. It's a Greek word. It's koinonia. Now you have a Greek word you've learned today. You're welcome. Uh, koinonia, and it's actually two Greek words smashed together. Uh, the first part of that word, it actually refers to, the definition is to share. The second part of the word is a familial term, meaning family, to share with family. In fact, the very essence and nature of the word fellowship is uh, the definition, if you look it up in the original Greek, it's, it's to participate or to share or to contribute, now, why this is important is because we live in a culture that is very familiar with associations, right? Like maybe you're a part of an alumni association uh, with your college, or maybe you have, a, you have a professional association that you were a part of, or, or maybe you have an association with your favorite team. And, and associations is a common cultural term, and some even will view their relationship with the church of Jesus as an association. But fellowship is, is drastically different because the very essence of the word fellowship means that we both share with each other and we also are shared with. Are you following me? There's our participation element. It doesn't mean why well, I associate with those people. It means those people are my family. Like I, I, I share with. And so with that, with that lens, Here's what I want to share as we look to Scripture. These are all based, and we're going to kind of unpack various Scriptures in the New Testament. Three, three things we see that we are called to share as the family of God, to share with other believers, because the essence and nature of our relationship is to share. So here's the first point I want to share with you today. I'll be using the word share a lot. Uh, let me share this with you. No, okay, I'll stop. Um, is that we are called to share ourselves with one another. Share ourselves with one another. You know, it says that they, they, met, they met the temple, but they also met in homes and they broke bread. They had this rhythm in the early church uh, of, of, of gathering in the temple for worship. They met daily. We do, we do it every Sunday. Uh, but they also met in homes and they broke bread. They had meals together. And they had this rhythm of connection and community. They were sharing their lives with one another. In fact, uh, in Rome, in early ancient Rome, uh, the church, like Christians would often even move close to each other. So they could like be like just all up in each other's business because they were like, they, they were, they were one, number one, they were a minority in Rome. Number two, it was also, they were, uh, and we're going to, that's a whole other message, but eventually they faced persecution. So they, they, they ended up eventually worshiping sort of underground in homes because they can no longer worship in the temple. 
But they had this rhythm of connection, this rhythm of, 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 of building a, a presence, the, a rhythm of being together, of sharing lives together. And just speak real practically. Have you ever realized this, that one of the most practical ways that you can share life together is to share a meal together? Have you ever noticed some of your most powerful moments, maybe relationally speaking, happened over food? happened over a meal. It means you opened up your home, you opened up the table, you, you went somewhere, you had a, had a meal together, had conversation over. And we see this was a common practice in the early church. They had a rhythm of connection. As I was speaking, thinking about this rhythm of connection, again, I was thinking about this hard knock show, that they had a rhythm of meetings for the team. They had, they had offense meetings, defensive meetings, all team meetings, quarterback meetings. Uh, they even had some merely just to build relationships. They had dinner together. Uh, just to build chemistry, just to build relationship. And it's important that we have a rhythm in our life where we are connecting with other followers of Christ. And here's what, here was their rhythm back then. Their rhythm was daily temple worship and, and daily breaking bread in homes. Here's Catalyst, version's, Catalyst Church's version. We gather weekly to worship, and then we have, we have community groups to get together throughout the week. See, the, 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 the template, the model for the church, it really has not shifted much, changed much. We don't meet every day, but we have a rhythm and a, and a gathering. And here was the primary purpose. In fact, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says this, that we are, he says, he encourages the church at Thessalonica, encourage, continue to encourage one another daily as you are already doing. Have you ever noticed when you get together with other, other followers of Christ, have you ever found yourself when you've left the presence of other followers of Jesus, you found yourself encouraged in your faith? When I, when I come, even last week, I, I felt encouraged by the message. You know, one of the most encouraging parts for me when I get together is, is, is lobby conversations. And I hear about your faithfulness to Christ. I hear about how God's moving in your life. When I hear about how other followers of Christ are coming out, I leave encouraged in my spirit. I have some close friends of mine that when I, when I leave their presence, like I have one friend even recently had a conversation. I felt encouraged to be a better Christ-centered father after that conversation. Like when you get around other followers of Christ, you should be encouraged in your calling. You should be encouraged in following Christ. You should be encouraged in your faith. Like even this morning, I had a conversation that's already encouraged my faith. That's the purpose of this. In fact, Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews says to not neglect the meeting together. It says to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Well, here's what that means. You need encouragement to do, to love and to do good deeds. <laughs> You, you need some, I need some encouragement to do, and that's the purpose of the connecting and the gathering together. Here's my encouragement for you, is to have a rhythm in your life. Have a rhythm in your life where you're, 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 you're gathering, you're connecting with other followers of Christ. Again, it can be in a community group. It can be, I know even some here at Catalyst, they just have a Bible study. They just do kind of informally as friends. It might be having dinner regularly with some individuals, grabbing coffee, but, but get in the presence of others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a theologian um, in, at the, in, during the Holocaust and a pastor, uh, incredible uh, man. Uh, just, I could say a lot about him, but I won't go into details. He wrote a book called Life Together. If you want to, it's a thin book, but it's, it's, it's hearty. <laughs> um, if you want a kind of a further understanding of like from a, from a biblical, a strong theological foundation of the church and how we're to relate, this is a great book. I'm going to quote him a lot today, but he says this, um, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength of the believer. 
That, that, that there's some strength that we get from the gathering together, from the being together. And, and in Hebrews, it says to let's, let us not give up the habit. And as I was thinking about the habit of meeting together, I was recalling years ago, uh, Christina and I had a babysitter that, that would watch Hannah. This is back when we had, uh, Hannah was like a, a baby. She would watch Hannah for us on Tuesday nights, and we would have a date night. But then she moved out of the area, and we couldn't find a, a regular babysitter. So we stopped our weekly date. Now, I'll be honest. When that first happened, we didn't notice like any kind of difference. We thought to ourselves, hey, our marriage is strong. It's healthy. We're going to be good. We don't, we don't, we'll be good without a weekly date for a little while. But can I tell you, several months in, we began to feel the distance. We began to feel the lack of dating actually began to affect our, our relationship. And, and here's what I want to say with this. Maybe you're at a place, maybe you're here in person, or maybe you're watching online, and maybe you've gotten out of the habit of gathering together with other followers of Christ. And you may not realize the full effect of it right now, but can I encourage you lovingly, pastorally, and from Scripture, is, is to reinstitute the habit in your life. Can I tell you, when we first got back in the habit of dating again, it took more effort. Have you learned, have you realized this? When you try to start a habit, it takes more work at the beginning. And it can be discouraging because it's taking a lot more effort now, right? But can I tell you, this is a habit that I'll tell you, listen, I, I would encourage you, it's worth, it's worth it. But, but not only the gathering together, but then how do we, how do we relate to one another? And I want to speak specifically to one type of relationship. If you've been around Catalyst, you've, you, you've heard this before. Maybe you're new, this will be new to you. It's James 5.16, the, the, James, the brother of Jesus says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He says to confess our sins, to be open and honest. Here's how I like to say this, especially in, not just in the context of church, but in all relationships, is that we, we, we should be authentic uh, with everyone as we feel comfortable, but you need to be transparent with someone. You need someone with whom, here's how we say to Catalyst, who you take the mask off with. Because here's what we know, when you're at work, whether you're going into work or you're, you're Zooming in in these days, or whether you are at the gym, or even in a large group setting like this, you have some degree of a mask on, and not just physically speaking, <laughs> right? You, you, ha you have an emotional mask, you have a spiritual mask on, right? Because, because you may not know the people around you as well. You may think to yourself, like, if when your boss asks you how you're doing, you're like, I can't really tell you how I'm doing, <laughs> because I don't know how you'll respond, and I got to keep this job, right? And here's the reality. There are some people in your life, your boss may be one of them, that maybe they can't actually personally process you being transparent with them, but you need someone to be transparent with. You, you need someone to be open with, because here's what will happen. Maybe you've experienced this in this season where we're wearing physical masks, and maybe you wear a mask all day for work. Have you ever noticed when, once you get in your car or once you get outside, it's so relieving to take it off and take a breath? You're like, oh, I've been wearing this for eight hours. Like, okay, it feels good to just like take a deep breath and take it off. The same applies spiritually and emotionally to take the mask off with somebody. And, and here's what will happen. Is that, is that, and this has happened to me personally, and I speak from experience, so I'm passionate about this. And I've also experienced this with other people. If, if, you, if you never take off the mask with someone, meaning someone that you're 100% transparent with, I like to say it this way. If they ask you how you're doing, you can't get by by saying, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Come on, right? It's like, no, you're not, bro. I know your life. You got three kids, Jeremy. You stressed. Okay, no. 
that you can say, actually, all week I've been struggling with low level of anxiety. Somebody who you can say, actually, you know what? I, I've been struggling with this habitual sin in my life and I, I want to get freedom of. Hey, hey, you know what? Actually, at work, I'm feeling this incredible pressure right now. I feel like I'm about to break right now. You need someone that you can be that honest with. And here's what's here. Let me just say this. The longer you wear the mask and never take it off, and I've seen this happen, you begin to believe the mask is you. And you actually begin to deceive yourself. I've had conversations with people who, in the process of telling me things, what they've told me, I have never told anyone this before. All of a sudden, they have this realization that there are some areas of their life God wants to heal. And can I tell you this? And hear this. This is, is, is in the scripture. God will only heal what you're willing to reveal. He heals us when we reveal to him. So who do you have in your life that you're taking the mask off with, that you're being open and honest with? Because we all need someone, some place that we are taking the mask off with. And let me say this as well. There are some of you in this room, and I have compassion for you because I've been there. Maybe you have been hurt relationally. Maybe it's, it's back with your father when you were young, young. Maybe it's with an ex. Maybe it's another Christian. Maybe it was a church leader in your past. They hurt you. And I'm going to speak very compassionately and authentically with this because I've been there. And here's what happens. We can, un- we, can, we can agree with the enemy and say, because I've been hurt there, I'll never trust again. And we self-protect. We put a wall up and we put a mask on. And listen, I have compassion, but let me kind of encourage you. Can I ask you to pray to God, talk to God, and say, God, help me to have the courage to take the mask off with someone. Because people may have hurt you, but God's way to heal you is also through people. And you got to take the mask off with somebody. Pray for God to give me the courage. We're going to have community groups launching in September. If you're wondering, how do I find these relationships? That's a great way. Another way, join a serving team. Get to know individuals and find that person with whom you can take the mask off with. I'll say this one last thing about it. The first conversation, if this is new for you, it may feel uncomfortable. It may feel awkward. But it will equally, if not more, be even more powerful. So I would encourage you, embrace the, uh, the discomfort, embrace the awkward, and experience the power of God. Take the mask off. So we share ourselves with each other. Here's number two, is we share each other's burdens. It says in Acts 2, 44 and 45, that they, they, had, they had shared all things they had in common. Uh, they were distributing belongings and proceeds to all as any had need. Romans 12, 13, the Apostle Paul says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Again, this is one of the early markers of the church. In fact, they said so many folks were attracted to the church because they saw this degree of generosity they did not see in the broader culture. And here, Apostle Paul encourages us to have this degree of generosity in our life and in our hearts. As I was thinking about this of of, of of bearing each other's burdens and being generous with each other. Again, I was reminded of, of the, the Hard Knock show I've been watching. And there was, um, at one point, um, the, the football player, the, the, one of their, their wide receivers, their top wide receiver was injured. He had a foot injury. He couldn't play. But what he did was, he came to practice. The, the coach went to the other receiver and said, I now need you to step up and carry the burden because he's out. 
And this player was coaching his other teammates to get better. Why? Because they had a common mission to win the game. And that we have a common mission as well as the church of Jesus. And we are called to bear each other's burdens, to be generous with one another. And I'm going to get real practical in this. I was reminded uh, this week, our first year as a church in 2019, there was someone in our church who had a medical emergency, uh, really kind of out of the blue. She had to have emergency surgery. And it left her to where she was home by herself for the majority of, of the week and then she had to have someone, uh, she was unable to drive. She had to have someone drive her to the doctor. What was incredible during these, like about five weeks, she was like this. There were people in the church who were sharing with someone in need. They were giving her uh, rides to the doctor. They were just coming to spend time with her at home while she was home alone. And they were coming to bring dinner and meals and snacks and just showing love for her. That's how practical it can look. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, let us not become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the household of faith. You see how he makes a a demarcation? Do good to everybody, but especially those in the household of faith. That there's a, there's a demarcation he draws. Like, do good everywhere. Like, help your coworker at work and expect no credits. Like, bless your neighbor with a meal. Serve in the community. But even more so with the church of Jesus Christ. To do good. You know what I love about Paul? He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Anybody else, you just get weary in doing good sometimes. He says, because you'll reap a harvest in due time. And this maybe is a word that will encourage somebody. Your responsibility is to do good. God's responsibility is the harvest. Stop trying to focus on the harvest. Focus on just keep being good. Your faithfulness is measured by your goodness. He's the one who will bring the harvest. That's for somebody who feels discouraged this morning. I think it's important that we remember that. What's that look like? That just looks like simply in the context of with your church is Man, sending somebody a meal who's going through a hard time. Maybe they had a full week at work. Uh, you just send them a meal. Say, hey, I just want to get you dinner tonight. I just want to bless you. Maybe it's offering to babysit someone's children that, uh, that, that are in the church. Saying, hey, can I just, I, I want to bless you. It can be serving on our dream team. Like, th- these are ways that you can just simply do good to those around you. You don't have to think too hard about it. I once heard a pastor, a uh, friend of mine one time say that actually when we do good, we're actually doing God. We're actually doing his will, and we just simply do good. Sometimes we can overthink it, but if like, here's just a challenge I'll give you, real practical. If you think of something good to do this week, do it. If it crosses your mind, just do it. Just do it. Galatians 6, Paul says this at the beginning of the chapter, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and that way you fulfill the law of Christ. That word burden is the word excessive weight. And when you carry excessive weight, you need someone to help lift that weight. Maybe you've experienced this yourself personally, or maybe you've you've seen this happen in the gym. If you're working out and someone may be trying to get a PR and they got more weight than they lifted before. Have you seen this before? And they don't have a spotter and they go down that squat and they realize I can't squat back up right? And then you got that awkward moment of sliding the weights off or kind of awkward trying to flip the bar off your back. 
Why? Because when those moments come, you have a spotter. Why? So when all of a sudden you get down to that squat and you're like, I can't get back up, right? You got somebody else who's saying, that's an excessive weight. Here, I'm going to help you get that back up. Do you know in life, sometimes life can happen and you feel like you're carrying an excessive weight on your back. It can be like all of a sudden your child struggling in school. In between your demands of work and being a parent, one other weight feels excessive. It can feel like someone at your work uh, quit or they got let go and now you're doing the job of two people. And you feel excessive weight. It can be even just some toxicity at work. You feel excessive weight. It can feel like a medical diagnosis that you, were, you weren't expecting. It can feel like an excessive weight. Can we be honest for a moment? The pandemic in and of itself can feel like an excessive weight. And you need someone who you can say, hey, can you help me lift this weight you need someone that you can be honest with and say, hey, you know what? I'm having a difficult time. Hey, can you help me to carry this weight? I was reminded a couple weeks ago, my, my youngest, Abby, was walking down the stairs. And I, I think she learned this from her brother. She'll often try to carry. In fact, this morning on the way to church, Judah had too much in his hands trying to carry them into the car. Um, but she came downstairs one morning. She had like a purse on this arm. Like she had like a baby doll in this arm. She had like other little toys in this hand. She had like a backpack on, like a hat, like a princess dress hanging over her shoulder. And she's like coming down the stairs. She's like, Dada, Dada. (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I go and I run. I, I, I pick the items off of her body so she can actually get down the stairs safely. Sometimes you need people to pick up the weight off of you so you can get through life safely. And here's a statistic show that even right now, the mental health of the average American right now is, is lower than it's been in a long time. And, and maybe for some of you in this room, you need to be honest enough to say, I'm actually carrying more weight than I can handle. Do you know that God actually designed you to not carry the weight by yourself? If you've ever wondered, this feels like it's too much, it's because you were not designed to go through life by yourself. Our Western culture value on independence can actually be destructive if we don't actually humble ourselves enough. For some of you in this room, your obedience to the Lord today is being humble enough to say, I'm carrying more weight, even if it's just mentally. I'm carrying more weight than I can handle and letting somebody else know. And can I tell you, let me just give a practical this happened to me not like recently. I was I had had a had a, a meeting I was going to, and I had a I recently had a had an ear infection, which ear infections as adults is like terrible. And I texted a few friends of mine and just asked them, "Hey, can you pray for me?" And can I tell you, knowing that these individuals were praying for me, and then they checked in on me, do you know I felt a burden come off of me because I knew I wasn't alone. Can I tell you very practically, one of the things that you can do to carry the burdens off of somebody else, check in on people. Like, just send a text, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? One of my favorite questions to ask individuals is, how can I pray for you? You know what I found when I asked that question? Is you never know what someone's carrying. And you never know what your prayers will do, not just spiritually, but also to them emotionally, to know somebody else is carrying the load for me. Somebody else is praying for me. Somebody else is thinking about me. It can do so much for somebody else. Be someone who helps carry the load 
for others. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. This is Christ. God forgave you. That word compassion is, is actually is the word splonknizomai. It refers to a movement in the bowels. That compassion in Scripture was not a feeling. It was an action. That we're called to bear and be compassionate. Here's what I believe. That the church should be the most compassionate and caring community in a city. That when people come in here, we're not like, if they come in here bandaged or, or kind of having issues, they come in here, some struggling, we're not sitting like, well, how did you get this way? We're saying, we're here to help. Let me lift that burden. We're here to help. help let, me, let, me, let me bandage you up. Hey, hey let, me, let me help you. Why? Because we are a compassionate community. We're called to carry each other's burdens, to share each other's burdens. And here's the last one. So we share ourselves. We share our, each other's burdens, and lastly, we share a common mission. Uh, in verse 46, it uses the word uh, together in verse 46. That word together in the Greek translates one accord, one mind, or one heart. There was this oneness in the early church. In fact, Jesus uh, said in John 17 that we may be one as he and the Father are one, that we would have this, this unity now, let's be clear, unity is not uniformity. <laughs> in fact, then, in fact, what's intriguing is you look at history, that when Christianity came on the scene, when Christ came on the scene, do you know Christianity was the first religion where actually people could choose? Up until that point, if you look in history, every other major religion you were either born into, it was either a cultural background or your familial background. That's why Christianity immediately became the most diverse faith in all of the world. And if you look today, Christianity today is still the most diverse faith in all of the world. Why? Because Christ is chosen. And, we, and what they see is like off the bat, there, there's a sense of unity. Even though they're incredibly diverse in ethnicity, in cultural background, socioeconomic status, religious background, they had unity. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying in Galatians. What he's not saying is your race and culture no longer matter. What he's not saying is your, your, your gender no longer matters. Here's what was happening culturally. The culture of the, of the world was infecting the church. See, what was happening culturally were is that those of Jewish background were oppressing Gentiles. Men in the culture were oppressing women. Paul saw it in the church of Galatia. And here's what he say. He, said, he says, the power differentials that exist in our culture don't exist in the church. Jesus Christ leveled the playing field. So we don't follow the ways of culture. We follow the ways of Christ. Therefore, we are one in Christ. Because what was happening were Christians of Jewish descent, a background, were, were, were putting extra, extra biblical expectations upon Gentile Christians. And he was like, no, 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 no. Christ leveled the playing field. We are one in Christ. And you know, actually, when unity in Christ is done well, it actually causes us to appreciate the diversity of the body of Christ even more. 
Because here's, here's why. Here's why it's so powerful. Because when we're, unif- we're, when we're unified in Christ and we recognize that you are made in the image of God, and even though you look differently than me, you have a different background than me, you are made in the same image of the same God. Therefore, I have equal value on your life. Therefore, you are a different representation of our God. Therefore, I want to get to know you because you're different. I value our difference. Unity is not uniformity. Let's bring it into 2021. We don't allow, and here's why God cares so much about unity. Psalms 133 says, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. It reminded me years ago, I heard this story of Tony Dungy. He's a coach of the Indianapolis Colts, or was. Somebody asked him, hey, what was your best team? Was your Super Bowl team your most talented team ever? He said, no, they were like my fourth or fifth most talented team. He said, but you know what? He said, they were my most unified team. That the, the, the blessing of the unity, it, it expands outside of, of, of the church. That where there's unity, there's a blessing. And, and, and that we're called. So the enemy will do whatever he can to create division in the church. Have you seen this? <laughs> Here's a 2021 version. Do not allow your political ideology to get in the way of your theology. We, we See, in the church of Jesus, we don't allow a Republican or Democrat to divide us because we're one in Christ. We don't allow our ideological differences to divide us because we're one in Christ. And what a beautiful testimony of the grace of our Jesus if the church can be full of both Republicans and Democrats. If the church can be full of people who have different social and ideological perspectives, yet we're one in Christ. And we treat and we love each other like family. And we care for each other. And we bear each other's burdens in a culture that berates you for thinking differently than me. And we love you even though you're different than me. What a beautiful witness for Christ. That's what we're called to, church. We're called to unify under Christ. We're called to to unify. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says. He says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Jesus, so we're unified in Christ, and he gave us a common mission to go forth and to make disciples of all nations. And last week, Christina spoke a message on John chapter 13. And I want to close the scripture because... At the end of this, John 13, at the end of his moment of washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus has a moment where he says, he basically tells them how they will stand out as his disciples. What will make them distinct as a disciple? And he says this in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That word love is the word agape. Agape has, there's, there's two terms that describe the love of, the, the agape love. It's unconditional and it's sacrificial. Meaning we love without conditions. We're not saying we'll love you when you, when you meet a certain standard. And maybe some of you have been in a church where you felt that. You felt like if I don't measure up, I won't be accepted. Agape love is, is saying that you, you are accepted in love with no conditions. There's no strings attached. There's no fine print. <laughs> and then it's sacrificial. It means I am willing to inconvenience myself for you. That I, I, I honor you, even at times, above my own preferences. 
that, 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 that I, I love you. I, I, service is my posture towards you, that I am generous with you. And Jesus said, this is our distinctive. Remember years ago, I went to a Monday night football game. It was the Washington uh, football team uh, versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, when I walked in, um, actually, there was like actually literally physical fights in the line getting in. Um, Eagles fans' faults. You know Eagles fans. <laughs> Terrible people. No, I'm, just kidding, I'm just kidding. We do pray for you, though, because there's something in the water of Philadelphia. They're like physical fights as we're walking in, like legitimately. And so we go in the, we go in the stadium. And every, every, most fans, like 99% of fans are wearing either Philadelphia jersey or a Washington jersey. I came straight from work, so I had my gap button down on. Come on, somebody. So we go to our seats, and this guy's sitting there. And not, not, I mean, he had to kind of look. He's probably three or four beards deep already. I was like, okay. And he's like, hey, who are you rooting for? He was kind of big, too. I was like, well, who are you rooting for? <laughs> Them. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have a jersey on. I didn't have a shirt on because I root for God's team, the Baltimore Ravens. Come on. We know this. I ain't going to rock a Lamar Jackson jersey up in there, but maybe now I will. But I thought to myself, you could, you could see who they were rooting for by the, 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 the shirt they wore or the hat they wore or it was a football game, or by how they painted their body. Come on, somebody. You could tell, like, were they, were they Washington or Philadelphia fans? Because it was about half and half in the stadium. And I thought to myself, here's what Jesus is saying. Like, Jesus could have said many things. Like, people will know you're my disciples by how well you know the doctrine of our faith, by how, by how well you understand Scripture, by how eloquently you pray, by how long you spend in prayer. That's how they're going to know. What does he say? Here's how they're going to know. You want to know what our jersey is as disciples of Jesus? It's our love without condition. It's our love that's sacrificial. It's a love that shares. It's a love that contributes. It's a love that is generous. So, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defines love as this, that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no wrong record of wrongs. It is not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Now, some of you thought that was a wedding scripture because it was read at your wedding. It's actually not. It's written to a church. It applies to weddings too, but it's for the church. So this is what love is. This is what agape is. It's kind. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Listen, we are better together because we are called to be known by our love for one another. So I want to challenge you this week. Ask God, spend some time, ask God, God, show me what it looks like, what step for me to take to share myself with other people. Maybe for some of you, it's just having a rhythm of, of connection with other followers of Christ. Maybe others of you need to have someone you take the mask off with and say, here's, not, here's what's really going on in my life. My marriage is struggling or I'm having issues at work. Maybe for, then, then, then ask God, God, what, what does it look like for me now to share the burdens? Maybe for some of you, again, your obedience is telling somebody else the burden you're carrying all by yourself so they can pray for you, they can support you, they can be a listening ear for you. 
and then also carry those burdens for other people. And then lastly, that we would share a common mission. We would, we would even, even do some searching in your heart. God, is there any area that I've allowed the divisions of our culture to infect my heart and my life, my relationship with the church? And that we would then ask yourself, am I reflecting the love of Christ to the world around me? Because that is what we will be known for. We're better together, church. Can you bow your heads with me and pray?